Well, good morning to you. We are, hey, yeah, good morning. We are talking about our identity this morning, and um, it might seem kind of a strange topic. Where exactly are we going this? If we talk about identity in today's world, it's often in the context of something like identity theft. And oh, that's kind of a current popular topic, and our ears are perking up. I'm not sure Sunday morning is necessarily the best venue for such a discussion, you know, how to prevent it, what to do, those sorts of things. We think about identity, and I, you know, think, start thinking about things like secret identity, superheroes, right? You know, you've got Bruce Wayne and Batman, Peter Parker, and what's his name? Spider-Man, good. I just testing you, seeing, seeing what your, uh, your, your superhero acumen, how you guys doing on all that stuff. So identities, but, but we're talking about identity in a specific way, and it's important enough that we're going to take our whole time together talking about this concept because it's that important. Now, if you want to follow along in your outline, there's some place to take notes because we're going to dive right into some of these introductory thoughts, and so I invite you to follow along and your scripture verses are happening there. We're, taking, uh, we're simply taking three verses out of Romans 5 today, the five verses we've not looked at in the last bunch of weeks, verses 9, 10, and 11. If you have your Bible, you can open up right there. We're going to be just camped out in those three verses and unpack it as we look at identity. But the simple fact is knowing your true identity matters. Knowing your true identity matters. And you see, here's where we get it backwards in our thinking sometimes. We often believe that our actions and behaviors determine our identity. See, we believe that what we do determines who we are, and, but that's wrong. Your identity goes so much deeper than your behavior or what you look like or what you do for a living or what you own. So often we, we put, well, what, who, what's your identity? Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor or I'm a dad or it's, it's what I own. It's, it's really not those things. It's much more. Your identity doesn't come from any of these things. It actually is the motivator of what you do, not the result of what you do. Do you catch that? Your identity is, motivates what you do. It's not the result of what you do. So often we look for our behavior to establish our identity, and that's not what it's about. Here's a key concept to grasp today, and it's your second point there. Belief determines behavior. Belief actually determines behavior. Your belief about who you are determines how you behave, even, catch this, even if what you believe is wrong, okay? Even if what you believe is wrong, it will guide the way you act, so it's important to understand this principle. And it's also important to have an accurate view of your true identity, okay? An accurate view of your true identity because what you believe is going to ter- determine how you behave. This family gets, takes this uh, young lab puppy under their arms and, and they are frustrated with the dog running off. So every day they would let it out and they would tie it up to the porch, to the post there. And so the dog would walk people, watch people ride their bikes or walk up and down the street. Other dog walks by and it would try to run out and, and greet him, but they'd get pulled back by the rope, you know, day after day, pulled back by the rope until finally the dog figured out being a bright dog, <clears throat> you know, months later, I'm tied up and I won't do that. It keeps hurting my neck. And so it lies on the porch and watches the world go by day after day after day, year after year, it watches the world go by until one day the family says, I think our dog's grown up and mature enough. Let's let that dog free. We're going to let him out on the porch and not tie him up. So what a great thing. He can be free to experience the world in all its fullness. So they let the dog out, and the dog goes lie down on the front porch, and it watches the world go by, back and forth, the dogs and the bikes and the cars and the pedestrians. Because why? Because the dog is free, but the dog doesn't know that he's free. The dog doesn't believe that he's free. So consequently, because he thinks he's tied up, and, and then he's chained, he's tied, he acts like he's tied, right? You understand the, the issue here? You see, your belief determines behavior. Even if what you believe is wrong, it's going to determine your behavior. Now, a number of years ago, right before my wife and I had our first baby, and we've had a few of them, five to be exact, but we talked about this and actually made a decision that in our language, we were not going to use the terms good boy, 
and actually had four boys and one girl, so it was a lot more boy. Bad boy or, or good boy. Oh, he's such a good boy. You're such a good boy. Oh, you're a bad boy. We decided not to do that because we realized we were talking about this concept. When we called them a good boy or a bad boy, it was talking about identity. You are a good or a bad boy. And you know what? Their behaviors sometimes are good, sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they make good choices, sometimes they make bad choices. But in their essence, their identity was a loved one. You are a fair child. You are loved by mom and dad. No matter what you do, that's secondary. And you are loved by God. You are, you are a child of God, created by God in this family, and you are loved. And yes, you sometimes make good choices. Sometimes you make bad choices. But you are not a good boy or a bad boy or good girl or bad girl. It's something we decided you'd do. You see, if we started calling someone saying, oh, bad boy, you're a bad boy. It sounds like a dog here, but we sometimes do that. The, the problem is the boy can start believing it right? And all of a sudden it becomes an identity. And all of a sudden now, all my, all my actions are motivated by, out of guilt, out of shame. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm such, I'm a bad person. Even if I do something good, it probably won't turn out well. Or he actually believes I'm such a bad boy. I might as well be a bad boy. It's who I am. I'm just going to go ahead and do that. Make bad choices because it's who I am and identity. Well, the, the, the person, the young child who starts believing that they're a good boy or a good girl because they're told you're such a good girl or a good boy, actually it can lead to some major problems as well. Equally bad, believe it or not. First one is, I am a good boy, aren't I? <laughs> pretty prideful now, aren't I? I'm a pretty darn good boy, but more likely it becomes this. I'm a good boy. I keep hearing that every time I do something good, I hear that I'm a good boy. That must mean to continue to be good, I've got to do good things. And now he starts running this non-going or this ongoing, never-ending wheel, this cycle that the little mice run in that never ends of having to perform well to prove to others, to prove to yourself, even to prove to God that you are good. And it's all on you to prove what proved that. Deep down inside, knowing I can never achieve that. And so consequently, maybe I'm really not that good boy that everybody thinks. You see the trap, what happens? Because we've turned behavior into identity. Because what you believe in can determine your behavior. And it's a problem. Now, I'm not trying to tell any of you that you parent or you are parenting wrong or did or whatever, you know. <laughs> if you've used a good boy, bad boy, good girl, you know, whatever. That's not the issue. It's something that my wife and I decided we wanted to, to practice with our family. But I want to illustrate this concept so that you can see it played out in a very objective form. Your behavior stems from what you believe about yourself, whether your belief is accurate or not. Okay, do you understand that whether your belief's accurate or not? With this idea in mind then, kind of paved the way here, the fact that knowing your true identity matters because that accurate belief about your identity will govern your behavior, we're going to look now at Romans 5, just those three verses, 9, 10, and 11, to see what God has to say about our true identity about our true identity. Now, in these three verses, we're going to see a, a radical identity change for the person that you were before you became a follower of Jesus to the totally new identity you have a, as a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm going to use the whiteboard as an example. If you're sitting off on the extreme edges, I apologize, but this is the best place for the lighting and the glare, I'm told. So we're going to do this. So, I was... There's the past tense. That's who I was before I was born, really. But in Christ, I am... Okay, we have two columns, and over on the side, I'll explain to you what we're doing, and, you know, you can use your imagination. You can believe I'm a great artist, and I'm doing great artwork up here. Anyway, so over here, we have a column of here's who I was, and we're going to talk about this. You don't have this on your outline, but I'm going to put your points in so we can kind of build a case for something. Here's who I was. It's going to be this left column. The right column is in Christ, I am, dot, 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 and here's this right column. And I, now, I want to clarify this. If you yourself have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, you know, maybe first time to church, maybe you've been coming a while and you're interested in Jesus, but you've not yet 
ask for forgiveness, ask for him to lead your life, receive Jesus and all his forgiveness and fullness, then the reality is, I just want to be up front with you, although this right column is going to sound really good, you're over here on the left column still. Because here's, here's just what scripture's going to tell us, but I'm setting you up ahead of time. The only way to move from the I was to the I am is in Christ I am. It's Jesus because of him coming as God in the form of man, living a perfect life here on earth. And then here we come up on this Passover week. This week historically is when Jesus came into Jerusalem and was crucified, willingly gave his life for you, died after living a perfect life, and rose on Sunday, what we celebrate as Easter, Because he loves you, when you receive that, then he creates you and he changes your identity. So this is a before and after, but the reality is it doesn't happen magically. It happens when you receive Jesus. And so some of us, the reality is a group decides, there's some people here today that are in this left column. So I don't, I just want you to understand that that, that's how it works. And this is what scripture is going to tell us, okay? So we're going to take a look at Romans uh, 5 and uh, four different points about our identity shift that happens in these, in these couple of verses here in Romans 5. And the first thing that's going to come up is this an identity, is that we were, or I was, (laughs) I said we were, so we were sinners, okay? But now, in Christ, we are saints, and we are seen as saints. Okay, that's a big difference. We were sinners, or I am a sinner, and, uh, uh, but in Christ, we are seen as saints. That's the identity change. Now, before someone becomes a follower of Jesus, that person is a sinner. Now, listen. Remember about behavior and identity. They don't just struggle with sin. That's behavior, right? It's not a behavior of sin in their lives. They are, by identity, a sinner. Okay, by identity a sinner. That identity began even before birth, the Bible says. So it's a really deep thing, okay? It's right there. You're born with it. But, but here's the important thing to understand. Once you do put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he actually gives you a new identity, okay? You are no longer a sinner by identity, but you are now a saint, and that's a big deal. God isn't focused on behavior change, folks. He gives you an identity change, and that will work to change your behavior, but he he focuses on changing your identity. Romans 5, verse 9, here we go. It says this, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, and we're going to stop right there, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, um, this is a pretty big deal. Verse 9 says that we're made right in God's sight through the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, which means that we were, if we were made right, it means that we were wrong, right? You understand, I kind of, I could have put little italics or quotes on that because the wrong and right is kind of a way to understand it. We were wrong and we've been made right. Jesus gave us a new identity. And it's saying then that we were sinners, that we lived lives for ourselves and our own purposes. And that's the wrong way to live, right? I mean, that's really where we get wrong. It goes against God's plan and God's purposes. But through Jesus's death on the cross, this verse says that, that as we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified. There's a big Bible term, but it's important you understand that we are justified. It's a technical term, and it means that we are declared righteous. So if you have a translation of the Bible, NIV and many others, we'll use that word justified. And ooh, that sounds like a good word. What does it mean? It simply means you are declared righteous. And how the NLT translated is that we have been made right in God's sight declared righteous. God says you, by identity, you are declared righteous. That is the technical term in God's eyes. Now, it doesn't mean that you're made perfect in every way. Darn it. (laughs) But that's just true. It doesn't mean that you are made perfect. That's going to happen when you get to heaven. Positionally, where you are, how you are seen by God, God in the Bible would say covered by the blood of Jesus and his perfection. You are seen by God as righteous. 
You are given a new identity. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. Now, now a saint might sound like, holy cow, Saint John, that sounds way too good for me, or maybe kind of Catholic or old, and what is it what do I have to wear if I'm a saint? You know, can I still wear jeans? Okay, right? So that that's 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 really not true. A saint is simply one that is holy. <laughs> Talk about another word that sounds too high to live up to. You don't live up to it. It's not behavior, it's identity. A saint is a holy one. That means someone who was set apart by God, chosen by God, set apart for his purposes. It's what he is doing for us. Picks us up and says, here, you are now holy. You are declared righteous in Jesus Christ. You are set apart for my purposes and my plan. That's a big deal, okay? That's a big deal. And it's important to understand this. If you've given your life to Jesus by identity, you are no longer a sinner. You are now a saint, okay? St. John, St. Bill. Well, whatever. That right's there, right? Now, now, Question, do you still sin if you're a saint? Uh, again, I, same thing, first service, I get head nods. <laughs> yes. Now, I'm not, saying do you, I'm not saying, do you get to sin? <laughs> yeah, you know. Do you still sin if you're a saint? Yes, you do. You're still able to sin. Sometimes you do, you might. But listen, you are a saint that sins, not a sinner. Get the difference? It, guys, well, same thing. No, it's not. You don't have to sin. A sinner sins because that's what a sinner does. A sinner sins. But a saint sometimes sins, but a saint has been given the power by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to not sin. And I know that, although I could say, I know I'm going to sin this week, do I, does God give me the power to, to not sin right now? Yeah, he does. Could he give me the power to not sin in one minute? Yeah, he does. Could I not sin again in the next minute? Yeah, oh, I see. I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a saint that sometimes, sometimes sins. But by identity, I'm not bound by that anymore. I'm not the dog tied up in, by the front porch, right? I am let free. I am set free, and, and I have a new identity. I don't have to sin. It's not who I am anymore. A sinner sins. That's their identity. And I love the picture it paints in Psalm 119, verse 32. Ran across this years ago, and went, I'm memorizing that verse, and went right in, because it's a picture. It says this, I will run in the path of your commands. Psalmist is writing at this point to God, saying, God, I will run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Okay, it's not in your outline if you're interested. Psalm 119.32. What's Psalm 119.32? Because you'll ask me later, what was that verse? I'll, Psalm 119.32. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I see a sinner going, gosh, if I try to be in God's commands, it's slow work, it's tedious, it's hard, and it's impossible, and I hate it, and it just doesn't work. But a saint can now say, God sets me free that I can actually, I, I know that I'm going to fail, but that's just a behavior, it's an identity, and I, I'm set free where I can actually run. You've set me free, and my heart's like, I can rejoice and follow God on his terms and his way. That's a cool verse, and it's a cool concept that's right there. It doesn't have to be hard work anymore. Our first identity shift here in Romans 5, verse 9, is I was, we were sinners, but now we're saints. Secondly, secondly, and this one, kind of stay with me here, it's what scripture says, we were objects of God's wrath. We were objects of God's wrath. I'll put a little arrow here because I'm just going to write wrath big. In Christ, though, we are forgiven, and I'll add loved. Forgiven and loved. Okay, this is identity. We were objects of God's wrath, and now we are object of God's forgiveness and love, okay? That's an identity, not just something God does towards us. Now, in our identity as sinners, we're objects of God's wrath, of his judgment and his condemnation. You see, God is a perfect God, and and who is just in all his ways, and our sinfulness, we talked about this before we were born, our sinfulness, it, it demands a just consequence, and although this term wrath of God may sound extreme, I don't like to think of God as wrathful, I don't either, 
It's that side of him, though. There's a just God of just sides of God that says that this is, and the Bible describes it in this way, okay? That God had, that there's a wrathful side of him that says there needs to be judgment. And folks, we have gone against God since Adam and Eve first sinned all those years ago. And since he's a perfect God who deserves all praise and honor and glory, he requires just payment for our sins, you know, for our crimes, if you will. Well, let's pick up Romans 5, 9. I'll, I'll do the whole verse. We did the first half a second ago. Since we've been made right, that's, that's declared righteous, right? We're justified. Made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. God's condemnation. That's God's wrath, which is his condemnation. Our old identity is one who stands fairly judged and rightfully condemned. We're the prisoner, the, prisoner, the guilty prisoner. God's perfect wrath, his anger over our ignoring him, of our, in essence, worshiping ourselves instead of him, or worshiping everything else but him, it's part of his justice. We break the laws and there's a price to be paid, okay? And God doesn't smile about that. But our new identity in Christ is one who is saved from God's condemnation. We're saved from his righteous anger and from his judgment. We are loved and forgiven in Jesus Christ. And we need to believe that. Remember, because belief determines behavior. This is an identity issue. It's changed. And we need to realize that since Jesus has changed our identity from condemned prisoner to forgiven loved one, it's a different thing. We don't have to cower in the corner as a condemned prisoner might do, afraid of God's glare of judgment. You know, here comes a judge. Oh boy, you know, he's got that, that look at me that's, that tells me how horrible I am. No. You're forgiven and you're loved and it's God dad coming along with that big smile of love and forgiveness because you are who you are, not because of what you did yesterday. Your identity has changed and you're no longer the cowering criminal, you know, uh, you know an object of God's wrath. That's a big deal. Live that way, live that way. Our third identity shift goes on to say in verse 10, but we'll take a look at number three here. We are called enemies. We are by identity, actually, not just called uh, enemies. But in Christ, in Christ, we are friends of God. It's this identity shift, pretty big, huh, from enemies to friends. And this is another key identity shift, and it's pretty obvious to see why. We were enemies of God before Christ came into our lives, and that term enemy is pretty strong, isn't it? I mean, I started looking at that, because you could say, hold on, John, I was never so far against God to be called an enemy, right? I mean, maybe I was kind of lukewarm towards him. I kind of ignored him. But enemy, I mean, that sounds like I was picking up weapons and looking to kind of get into a big-time war with God. And I wasn't that, you know, I wasn't that antagonistic, you know? You might be saying that even now. You know, God, John, I'm, Pastor John, I'm, I'm here at church. I'm checking things out. I'd hardly call myself an enemy of God. I mean, the enemies of God are out there running around doing horrible things. I'm here in church checking it out, you know? Well, you, the, the, here's the deal. The term enemy sometimes is applied to your attitude towards God. We all know people that are enemy toward God. Don't talk to me about God, you know, and off they go. That's sometimes our view of God. But folks, before you meet Jesus, it is always God's view of us. Okay, and that's really as you dig into the Greek of this verse. This is what's happening here. Uh, even if you aren't openly hostile towards God, this word enemy in the Bible, it's ekthroi in the Greek, really means that since you are an object of God's wrath, because of your identity as a sinner, you're an object of God's wrath. And because of your identity, that makes you an enemy. By identity, you're wearing the opposing army's uniform. You're an enemy. You're either with God or you're against him, and there's no middle ground, and it's simply, it's right there. So God's view of you really is, you're an enemy, you're on the other side, you're opposed to him, okay? 
You see how it all works together? A person who doesn't know Jesus is a sinner by identity, so they're an object of God's wrath and condemnation, and they are consequently an enemy of God. But in Romans 5.10, the next verse, we're looking at Romans 5, we see the key identity shift. It says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. In other words, it's saying that right there. We were his enemies. Then here came Jesus on the scene and didn't say, You have to earn it. He said, You are an enemy, but I'm going to restore this, and I'm going to make you a friend. Now, we just sang, I am a friend of God, you know, and I got to tell you, true confessions, the first couple times I sang that song here in church, I went, eh, an okay song, and I am a friend. You see, we talk about friends this way. Yeah, my neighbor, he's my friend. We have all these levels of friendships, right? And friends, sometimes they just say, hey, friend, how's it going? It's someone we know a little bit. And so I kind of went, I am a friend of just kind of a lightweight song until I realized what it's saying is I used to be a flat-out enemy, not in God's camp, opposed to God, seen by that. And so this huge transformation of 180 degrees of this enemy of God to good golly, Miss Molly, total friend. Friend means intimate, closeness, personal. I'm like, this is a big deal. I am a friend of God. I'm going to sing that song differently, and I have this morning after doing some preparation this week. So, you know, for me, I'm finally learning that some of these songs, you know, this one in particular has way more meat than I thought here for me personally. For me personally, this is a key identity shift. You're no longer an enemy. You're a friend of God. Not just forgiven and tolerated from a distance. You're a close, beloved friend. And this friend here means reconciled, okay? It, it describes a broken relationship that has been healed and brought together in a beautiful, personal way. So folks, as a follower of Jesus, if you're in the right column, it's important that you believe your identity. You believe this. You're a friend of God. You don't have to tiptoe around God wondering if he'll kick you out of the house if you do something wrong, right? You know, he's going to kick you out of the family family, you know, you're going to lose his love, forgiveness, and friendship. God is the perfect friend, and he will always be your friend no matter what you do. So believe it and act like his friend. Get to know him. Let him know you. He's not going to, he's not going to kick you out of the friendship cluster or his family because of who you are. (laughs) The friendship will only get better. Understand the identity? No longer an enemy. Big time friend. The fourth identity shift is that we were eternally lost. We were eternally lost. But now, again, in Jesus Christ, that's what we're saying, is that we are saved forever. And I'm going to write saved up here, but it's important that forever, I guess that's in your, in your notes right there, that we are saved forever. See, Romans 5.10 goes, goes on to talk about the eternal part of the identity equation. Let me read it to you. It says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his Son. Now, the, the wording of this verse is important because uh, is, is, it's emphasizing not just being saved from the grip, of the grip of sin here on earth when we first meet Jesus. I meet Jesus and I'm saved from the grip of sin, yes. But what it's really emphasizing here and talking about is being saved in the future, okay? We will be saved forever and ever through the risen life of Jesus Christ. Christ is living forever and we will join him in his eternal family as a child of God. And that's a pretty big deal. He's not talking just here, but it's what goes and goes and goes forever. By identity, we are saved. It's who we are now because of Jesus, okay? Now let's take a look at this left column on the whiteboard here. And it's not, it's getting kind of depressing, not a pretty sight. You see, without Jesus, by identity, we're a sinner, and we're object of God's wrath, and, and we're condemned, already condemned. We are an enemy of God, and we are truly lost. And so that's not a pretty picture, but that's our identity apart from Jesus Christ. It's a human condition. It's where we started, and it control. And listen, our identity, this identity in the left column, controls our behavior until, 
until Jesus Christ comes in. When you allow that to happen, when you receive the gift of Jesus Christ and we give our lives to Jesus, then the identity shifts here into the right column on that side. We are by identity saints. We are objects of God's forgiveness and love. We are God's friends and we are saved forever into God's family. That's a big deal. And knowing all of that, what should our response be? Hmm, nice little smile and a nod. Our response should be, believe your true identity and celebrate. Believe your true identity and celebrate. And in fact, that's where the Apostle Paul goes in the very next verse. He does all this technical talk about being justified, but all these things we've talked about here, and wrath to forgiveness, enemies to friends, loss to save. And then he says, party time! That's what he says. Well, my Bible. Romans 5.11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ Christ has made us friends of God. Folks, we can rejoice in the identity shift. And, And let's leave the verse up here. It's important to note from this verse that he has done it, not us. None of this happens through our own efforts and our hard work. Look, we receive this gift. We receive the gift of friendship. It says right here, he has made us friends of God. You didn't do it. You couldn't do it. God gave you the identity shift. So so we can celebrate with Jesus because of Jesus, and we can start living with full belief of our new identity in Christ, the right column. Remember that belief determines behavior. So believe your true identity and act on it. I am not bound by sin so I can walk free. I am not condemned by God so I can know that he's smiling at me. I'm no longer an enemy but his friend so I can be personal and intimate with him. I am saved forever so I can know my eternal security is sure and I am a fixed part of God's forever family and that is worth celebrating. And it is. Would you pray with me? Father, we have looked at this concept of identity. We've dug out some new words. We've even gone into the Greek to try to understand what is being said in these couple of verses. God, it is deep, and yet it is also simple. We understand that our belief determines our behavior, God, and the reality is that our identity is what it is tied to. Father, there are many of us here that made a decision for Jesus, I don't know, last year, maybe a year ago, decades ago, Father, that have been given a new identity, and yet we have not claimed that identity. We have not acted. We have not believed it. And so our behavior has suffered. Father, we've been like the dog. It's no longer tied on the porch, but we live our lives watching the world go by and all the opportunities. And your call to get engaged, and yet we don't do it because we've not acted on our new identity is free. Father, I pray that you would impress this upon us. And Lord, I know that in a group this size that there are some people here today at this service that sit here right now as they looked at this board realize, you know, I'm not sure that I've actually moved into that right column. I've been open to God, but wow, to hear that I'm actually an enemy and that I'm condemned, that I'm lost, all these different things that are here, that I'm actually a sinner. Yes, that's me. And Father, you want to give them that opportunity right now to have that identity change, this major 180-degree shift. And it would happen, it can happen for you right now if you're sitting in your chair here today by simply receiving Jesus Christ by putting your faith and trust in him, by saying, yes, I believe that Jesus, you came and lived a perfect life and died for me and rose to live for eternity. And I give you my life. I ask for your forgiveness and I ask for your leadership. And I ask for the new identity that says I am a friend of God and I am a child of the most high God and I am forgiven and loved and I am a saint and I am saved forever. Father, we respond to you by celebrating today in the only ways that we can from our hearts, Lord God. May you impress upon us, Lord, the truth of our identity in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.